1: This is Section
2: 422. Welcome to Section 422 podcast. Derek Van Riper here with Will Salmon. On this episode, we discuss the end of the Brewers 2020 season, which occurred last week at the hands of the Los Angeles Dodgers in the NL Wildcard Series. We ponder some big off-season questions, such as, has Ryan Braun played his last game as a Brewer? Is Josh Hader the Brewer's best trade chip? Who will be retained among the potential non-tender candidates this winter? And, of course, what's going to happen with the payroll? So, a lot of ground to cover, and... Will, I think you and I were both pretty pessimistic about the Brewers' chances going into that best-of-three series with the Dodgers, with the Corbin Burns injury kind of being the one thing that really put them in a terrible spot. Had they been able to throw Burns and Brandon Woodruff, they would have had a chance. But even in Woodruff's game, in which he pitched really well, it still wasn't good enough for the Brewers to even push the series to a third game. Other injuries, though, popped up as well. And Ryan Braun, I mean, it, it would be a very... Bittersweet sort of ending, helping get the Brewers in the postseason for the third time in as many years, for the first time in franchise history, but not being able to start in his final game with the Brewers would be a harsh ending to his time in Milwaukee. If this, in fact, is the end,
1: it would be so unsatisfying, right? When you look at just the body of work and how it would have ended if that's the way, it indeed, has ended. So, yeah, definitely unsatisfying. And, and man, like we were talking about just how pessimistic we were because of Burns. Honestly, even if Burns had pitched it in that game along with with Woodruff starting the other game, I still throw my hands up in the air and say to myself, would it still have even mattered? Would it have mattered if Burns pitched? Would it have mattered if Devin Williams was healthy? They were not going to score any runs. I mean, they just were not going to score enough runs. So, hey, maybe it would have mattered if Braun was able to play a little bit more or if he was healthier, but you could just go up and down the list with the rest of their lineup of of what ifs. But the point is is that they didn't have enough offense and it was only going to be a matter of time whether they somehow got lucky against the Dodgers in a short series or an advanced or... Like what happens in reality, and they lost, and they lost to the Dodgers. It just it was not going to be a long run, no matter what. Um, but with Braun, like i I don't know exactly how he feels about it. my My guess is that if I had to, to if and I've gone back and forth with this, pro- even with you, honestly, uh, about just is this is this going to be it, or is he going to be back? Personally, like my gut tells me that this may have been it just because of how open he was with discussing the possibility that this was it. And we saw a couple of tribute videos from the Brewers account on social media and they they just did a really good job of preparing everybody for, hey, this could be it and this very well may be it. And I don't know if you necessarily do that. And I haven't really seen a whole lot of that for people who haven't
2: then gone out and said, hey, that was it. I think the challenging thing to figure out here is on the one hand, Braun, you know, came back in a pandemic and played this season when, you know, he could have opted out as Lorenzo Cain did and just said, "Yeah, maybe we'll see what happens in 2021." And I just I don't know where he fits elsewhere. It's hard to imagine him in another uniform. Everyone's always linked to the Dodgers. That Dodgers team has depth. They don't need a guy who's really only a DH at this stage of his career. Uh, So I, I just have a difficult time placing him with other organizations. Even if you open up that DH spot on other teams, you wonder like, does he really have any interest in playing outside of Milwaukee or Southern California that narrows him down to about three teams or four teams, I guess, if you want to count maybe San Diego with the Dodgers and the angels. I don't see it. I think this is the end, but obviously that's just pure speculation at this point. His body really just gave up on him at this, at this time of year. And I think, In a shortened season, especially, that's troubling. Like, If you can't make it through a shortened season completely healthy, coming back as a 37-year-old, it doesn't seem like you're going to be in a much better place a year from now. On top of that, he's got a couple of young kids now, so the family consideration has to be there as well. And if you were going to come back, be it with the Brewers or elsewhere, it's going to be with a pay cut teams are not going to spend the way they've been spending in recent years. I mean, we'll get to the David Stern's comments about the payroll a little bit later on, but how much do you want to come back at age 37 with all the injuries he's been dealing with and play for a quarter of the salary that you've been drawing for the last five or six years, right? I think that's another key question that would have to be answered. And I just, I don't see all those lines uh, kind of intersecting at any point in which it makes sense for him to continue playing in 2021.
1: Right. I think we're both sort of grasping for reasons to come up with why he would come back if he wanted to come back. One would, of course, look, I'm not saying this team's on the cusp of winning the World Series, but that's something that he's never done. And you know how some players are of wanting to give that one last go. And Hey, with Christian Yelich still on this team and a good pitching staff, it's not as if they're they're going to be some sort of doormat or or basement dweller here. Like they they should be in the mix to make the playoffs again, you would think at least. So maybe that would be part of it. Also, with Lorenzo Cain back in the fold next year for for the Brewers and him playing center field, they're going to move. Obviously, Garcia probably be back to right field. So you know, Ryan Braun wouldn't be tasked with. Being that guy that they wanted him to be this year at certain points of, hey, we need you in right field. We need you to do some heavy lifting for our our offense because it's just not very good. In theory, the team would be better, you would think and hope. And so maybe his job, if he were to come back, would just solely be off the bench or as a a very much a part-time DH sort of situation, perhaps with Daniel Vogel back in that sort of mix. So maybe... That would be enticing, but again, it goes back to your point of it would have to be worth the, that price, right? I mean, you're not gonna, you're only gonna pay a, a certain amount for that type of player. I think his skills are still there. We saw that during September, where he was he was able to really crush velocity, and I think for an older guy, that's pretty impressive. But like, like you said, it was a sixty game season, and I feel like we barely saw him play. I mean, he just wasn't out there a whole lot. So as much as we want to sort of find ways and reasons for him to come back, I just – I don't see too many logical paths for it other than the fact of him perhaps accepting a very lower – very much a lower salary, taking a pay cut and also taking a job that – Just isn't going to ask a whole lot of him because even going into 2020, they were talking about having him, you know, be a platoon at first base, if you remember, and also play a little bit of right field. And all that stuff was just so we look at it now and it's like, yeah, that was never going to (laughs) happen. Like That was unrealistic. So the job description here has to be fourth outfielder, maybe, maybe even less than that and part-time DH. And it just becomes, how much do you want to pay for somebody like that? So I don't know. I, I, my gut tells me that this was probably it. Again, like you said, just speculation there. I foresee that maybe working something out where if there are fans in attendance, he comes back for that first day, gets one of those sort of ceremonial send-offs, and that's it. Um, that to me makes the most sense.
2: Yeah, I could see something like that playing out as well. I mean, that's the weirdest thing for any player or any manager or anybody in baseball whose career is winding down or has come to a close in 2020. You didn't get that send-off, which for someone like Braun, he's an icon for the franchise, right? He's on their Mount Rushmore. He's a guy that people have a lot of great memories of watching uh, since he debuted back in in 2007, and I I just think this is... uh, uh, a tough way for him to go out. So we'll see what these next couple of months hold, but I'm just not optimistic that we're going to see more than that sort of quick swan song at the beginning of 2021 for Braun. Uh, I think the next question a lot of people have uh, is what is this team going to do to improve the offense in the off season? And if your first thought is, well, they're probably not going to spend a lot of money and there really isn't a ton of talent out there in free agency. There's a handful of interesting players, but it's not a loaded crop of free agents. Are they going to try and make trades? And if they're going to make trades, who goes? Who is their best trade ship? Is it Josh Hader or is it actually somebody else? I've seen suggestions that one of the starting pitchers could net quite a bit in a trade. If it's Woodruff or Burns, which seems like you're robbing Peter to pay Paul a little bit because you don't have another wave of starting pitchers who appear to be on the cusp of replacing those guys. And I think the hater argument is you have a few more relievers who stepped up. Devin Williams, obviously among them. Fortunately, his shoulder injury seems to be very minor, and he should go through what looks like a very normal offseason. Drew Rasmussen, Justin Topa, a lot of the guys we've talked about on this show showed flashes of being ready to take on a larger role. So yes, this team would miss Josh Hader in the late innings, but if you can turn him into a key piece of your lineup, you can address third base by dealing away Josh Hader... It's something you strongly have to consider if you're in David Stearns' position.
1: Shoot, you need help at third base. You need help at first base. You may need a catcher. <laughs> I mean, depending on what, and I'm sure we'll get into it, but depending on what they think of Omar, Neva- Omar Narvaez and, and what, his ability to bounce back. But yeah, this is a team that it kind of reminds me of like what the when a little bit of it, but not it's not a perfect example. But when the Mets acquired like Edwin, Edwin Diaz, and it's like why why they get him when they have all these other issues going on with this team? Like their closer was just not at that list of things that is going to put them where they need to be. And it's not a the perfect comparison, but if you take away Josh Hader from the Brewers, do they get to twenty nine and thirty one? Do they get to where they were just this past season? I'm not sure. Maybe. Um, maybe they do. Maybe it doesn't make that much of a difference in some, in some instances here in a short season. But over 162, I think that he still is a, a pretty big piece for this team because as much as I like Rasmussen and, and Topa and a couple of other of their young arms, not, you know, much less Devin Williams, obviously, but just a couple of those other guys who are sort of on the cusp who got the opportunity to pitch a little bit in 2020 – as much as I like those guys, I'm not yet ready to say, okay, I totally believe in in their ability to just lock down the late innings in high leverage spots and get the ball to Devin Williams without much issue, and I feel super confident about it because I'm not sure yet. I, I like I said, I like those guys a lot, but I'm just not sure if I just haven't seen it I haven't seen enough of them yet to really feel like I'm a hundred percent on that idea. And I think it's easy to kind of buy into that just because they're they're young and they have really good stuff. Young in the sense of and Topa is a little bit older, but point is they all have really good stuff and they all flashed and, and they did well for the most part. And there's some other guys in the modern leagues too that, that come to mind that they could bring up or whatever. Um, but I just feel like for this team, man, I, as much as I think that it does make sense to trade Hader, I, part of me still would like to see them even hold on to him. I mean, it's just... I don't know. It's one of those things where I would like to see what's on the other side of that door and find out what's being advertised. Like, who who is it that they could get? Because that makes this conversation a whole lot easier, right? Because otherwise we're just saying, well, sure, they could acquire somebody and help their offense, which is awful, and they need help there. And that's all valid because, like you said, I don't know there are other options of trade of trading situations or trade candidates. I don't like the idea of trading Corbin Burns or Brandon Woodruff, I think that's silly because all of a sudden your really good pitching staff becomes pretty mediocre. I would I would even say I mean you go from having a, a great one two to a, num- a, a probably a number one regardless of who you keep, and then a bunch of question marks really. And I I don't see the point in that. Now you could trade somebody like Ethan Small, maybe uh, I feel like you would probably regret that in a couple of years, but it's possible. I I look at other guys on their roster, maybe somebody like Tyrone Taylor would be a candidate. And I don't know how much he'd be able to get you back in return, though. Um, just because I look at their outfield and I say, "Well, where's the playing time if everybody stays healthy?"
2: So I don't know. I just I don't see a whole lot of trade candidates besides Josh Hader on this team, frankly. I think we would have had a similar take if we were talking about this off season a year ago, kind of looking at this and okay. What's the move? Hader would have been the guy. That's more pie in the sky. It's less pie in the sky now. He's a year further into arbitration. He's going to make more money. I think there's the concern with relievers. You do get diminishing returns after a couple of seasons. After those workloads pile up over three or four years, guys aren't quite as sharp as they are at the beginning of their career. But if you look back, since 2018, among relievers, Josh Hader, Kirby Yates, and Liam Hendricks are the only three relievers with an F-4 of at least five wins. It's hard to be worth five wins as a reliever over a three-year window. And Hayter's thrown 176 innings during that span. Yates threw 128. Hendricks threw 123. So workload-wise, this is one of the guys that we've seen as much of, really, as anybody out of bullpens, especially in the late-inning role. There's probably a few relievers like uh, Yusmero Petit in Oakland, a few guys that throw a little more because they're designed for longer stints. But I think that has to at least play into the consideration as well. But you kind of hinted at this. What are the offers really going to look like? Who is going to give you what you need and what you want for Hayter? And then you start thinking, okay, last offseason, I don't know if anybody would have expected that Trent Grisham was going to be the centerpiece of a deal along with Zach Davies to bring back middle infield help in the form of Luis Urias. And that leads us to some more questions too. It's like, what do they do with the infield? Is Keston Hira locked in at second base? Is he going to need a position change? Is he going to possibly move to first base? Is he going to be a more regular DH if the universal DH hangs around so you can play Urias at second base instead of third and get more offense from third base? I mean, the questions just keep flowing like one question becomes three really quickly when you start to look at the way this team's built, and you look at the number of short term guys that they 've got who had club options that will likely be declined, and then you get the non tender candidates as well but before we get into all of that, um, I just wonder like is there some out of the box thing is Keston Hira the brewers best trade ship? Are there teams that think that they can uh, solve his strikeout issues with high fastballs and possibly turn him into that elite middle-of-the-order run producer that he's already flashed signs of being in his first two seasons in the big leagues.
1: I like where you're thinking. I'm always advocate for outside-the-box thinking. My thing with Kesson here is that he's probably the player that they would covet in a trade. You know, the guy who they would think they could kind of get the most out of, even though maybe their position player development isn't on the level that their pitching is in recent memory or recent years, recent couple of years. But he just fits that profile of a guy under control, under team control, a guy who has shown really good things at the major league level, has a proven that minor league track record, all those things they sort of look for. So I don't know. I, I like where you're thinking just because outside of hater, I, I really can't think of a, a great trade candidate on this, on this club. And then with hater, like you said, I, I just go back and forth with it, man. I just feel like he's still very valuable to this team. And yes, it's hard to kind of quantify that for a reliever. Um, and yes, their performance, there's some question marks with how much, how, how long can he keep doing it for plus his workload? So you're going to have to sell high if you're going to, if you're going to sell and that time is dwindling for him. You could make the argument that that time has even passed, um, or the highest point has passed at least. Um, but again, it goes back to, well, what are you getting for him? Uh, because if the value isn't on par, then what's the point? Right. Um, even if you are trying to shore up the offense. So, so yeah, it's, it's difficult. It's, it's, it's not easy. The tasks that lay ahead for, for David Storns and his group for sure with this with squad. <laughs> not that, the, not that it's like a, a terribly bad roster, but like you said, it's just there's one question that leads to three more.
2: I look at Francisco Lindor in Cleveland with free agency just a year away as a guy that Cleveland apparently is just not going to extend. That I that seems very public at this point. It's very surprising because to me he's a franchise player and I think if you're Cleveland, you probably want to go ahead and move him this winter because I think you get a lot more for him this winter because the team that trades for him if they don't re-sign him, they can at least extend a qualifying offer, get draft pick compensation. Uh, and, you know, they might be looking at him as kind of an all-in sort of piece for this year. I think there's maybe a fit there, you know, with Hader. I, I think you look back at what Cleveland did last offseason. They had, I think, one year left of Corey Kluber. They flipped him for Emmanuel Class A. Now, I think this is a a, a level up on both sides. I I wonder if there's something with Hader and Lindor. And I guess it's just speculating, spitballing, and I'm probably nowhere close. I think that's what I've learned trying to get inside the mind of the Brewers front office is, I'm like wily Coyote chasing the roadrunner. I'm just making a fool of myself most of the time trying to guess what they're going to do next. But I I wonder if they're thinking big and and thinking immediate or if they're thinking a little bit more about the longer window. And if they're trying to find more controllable pieces as opposed to players who are only going to be in Milwaukee potentially for a year or two.
1: Yeah, my gut tells me the latter, but... Then you look at the idea that they just locked up Christian Jellich, right? Just this, this, just this year. And he's not getting any, any younger here, right? And it's like he has peak years still left, but how many? And you got to capitalize on this. Otherwise, what's the point in signing this guy? You just have a situation where you had sort of that Ryan Braun part two, where you had that lull in, in Braun's career that was kind of wasted. I feel like where. Sure, maybe there were some injury years there for him, and there were some other stuff, obviously, <laughs> that went with Braun. But there, there was that gap of like they just weren't very competitive, and like you just want to avoid that with Christian Yelich as much as possible, considering he is still what only twenty nine years old. So uh, there, there's there's that incentive, and it's a huge one for the Brewers to to make a, to make a splash. Frankly, uh, I just don't know what the appetite is. I really don't.
2: Now, I think the other questions about who stays and who goes really do revolve around some of the guys that they could consider non-tendering. You mentioned Omar Narvaez a little bit earlier. He didn't hit at all the way I expected him to. I I thought, offensively, he'd be about as close to a Grandal replacement as you could have found last winter. Uh, I didn't think the defense, especially the pitch framing, would turn around and, and pull a complete 180, so... While he surprisingly exceeded expectations in one facet defensively, he woefully underperformed offensively. And we're talking about 40 games. We're only talking about 126 plate appearances. And that's basically a two month slump. That's all it was. How do they make a decision on Narvaez? Do they look at him and say, well, the defense was good enough. And even if he's going to make four and a half or five million, I don't know what the projected arbitration number is off the top of my head, but if he gets a $2 million raise, are we willing to make that bet with a potentially tightened budget that he gets back to hitting the way he did at least in 2018, even if he doesn't go back to the 2019 level, the 22 home runs? Uh, but you go back to 2018 with the White Sox, he only played 97 games that year. Narvaez hit 275 with a 366 OBP and slugged 429. That's a pretty good player. Like you could live with that behind the plate, especially with the improved defense. So is he a gamble? that you think the Brewers are interested in taking when you look at the state of catching around the league. I mean, you got Manny Pena as an option to retain cheaply. Jacob Nottingham showed some interesting pop and and seems to fit in really well. But do they see enough in Pina and Nottingham to run the risk of letting Narvaez go or trading him for probably next to nothing? I I think he's more likely to get non-tendered than traded away. Uh, But there's at least a chance that they retain him.
1: I think the play for them is you have to look back before this year and say to yourself, should we have seen something like this coming? I think that's where you have to start with Narvaez. You have to look back and say to yourself, is there something here that we missed? Is there something here in our evaluation of this player that we completely missed or that we looked the other way on or that we came up with a different theory that maybe just wasn't quite right at the end of the day or maybe is making us second guess our evaluation of him because – he was just, he, he was woeful. I mean, he was just bad. He never got going. I mean, it was just one of those deals where, yes, K- Keston Hira took a step back in, in the strikeouts and Christian Yelich had a slow start. But there were some other things where if you really want to be fair to the player, you could bring up and say, okay, well, Keston Hira at least hit some home runs. And, and Christian Yelich, his profile really wasn't all that bad. And some of it was, frankly, pretty good as far as hard hit stuff and velocity and all that. Omar Nervis there's nothing. I'm um, like not, not to be a, a jerk about it but there's just nothing that was any good. And so I, yeah, I feel like that's the play for them is that they really have to look back and say what happened here as far as should we have seen something like this coming? Maybe not this drastic of course, but um, maybe they missed something. And I think that if it's a no, then he's worth bringing back because his his whole career we're talking about a guy that put up relatively consistent numbers in what he was able to do like he got on base um he wasn't like the grand grandall 30 home run type thing uh but he had some power that was developing too um in recent in recent years um with the mariners so even going back to his minor league i mean this was a guy that hit uh, he he didn't hit like with a whole lot of slug, but he got on base, like I said, and uh, he he just made some contact. I think that was the biggest thing is that the contact just wasn't there and it had always been there. So that's a tricky one. And, and I feel like I wouldn't be shocked if he was non-tender just because he do, they do have other options. And Manny and, and Nottingham look great behind the plate and maybe he's better offensively than he showed in the small sample size. I think I think he has some power. I'm not sure about his contact rate and his consistency there, Uh, but maybe they do feel like, hey, we with Nervaez, there's a risk, there's a reward there that's pretty high if if he comes back. But the risk too, though, I'm not sure if it's worth taking, even if it's not that big of a risk. I'm just not sure if it's worth taking that roster spot for that for a team that does have some depth and and has to make other decisions of importance. And I'm, I'm just not sold on him. So I wouldn't be surprised if he was non-tendered. At the same time, he does have that hitting profile and that those career numbers and rates that point to this being sort of an anomaly for him. And it's, again, worth restating that this was not even half a regular season. So that's important. And I know that everybody says that and everybody has said that the past two months and it's getting very boring and repetitive, but... It's just it's the
2: right context with these with these decisions, especially one of such magnitude. If you pull back and just look at the last five years at the catcher position and include what happened in the shortened twenty twenty season, Narvaez is ninth among catchers in terms of WRC plus. Even with a disastrous twenty twenty baked in. He's got a three fifty five on base percentage. I mean, you don't find catchers who can get on base like that. I think Buster Posey is maybe the only catcher who gets on base more than Narvaez has over the last five seasons. A few other guys that aren't really available. Francisco Cervelli just retired, so he's not an option. Uh, Alex Avila is kind of on the brink of retirement. So a, a rare offensive player. I think he showed enough defensively. I would take the risk, but I also don't know what the budget is. I don't know what my limitations are. I don't know exactly how you make it work with Pena and Nottingham. Maybe you're just happy having those three guys. And if you don't like what you see from Narvaez in the first couple months of 2021, you move on then. You DFA them and release them, and and you eat the money. And that's the risk that you have to take. I mean, this is every every front office is going to have to make some very difficult decisions. And I think what's making it even worse in a more high-pressure environment is you're seeing stories from around the league about, members of the front office, members of the scouting department not being renewed and being let go. The cost-cutting measures are already taking effect, and they go beyond baseball. And This was a question that came up. David Stearns met with the media on Monday. One of the last questions he said he was asked was a question about whether he anticipates the budget being tighter in 2021. And his answer, here's the full quote, I think it's a possibility. I think budgets are tighter everywhere right now for most businesses. You know, over the last two years, we've run the two highest payrolls in the history of this organization. I think it's uncertain at this point as we look forward whether our payroll next year would be at that same level. End quote. And I think that's the more appropriate way to think about it: is are they going to spend relative to the way they've spent the last couple of years? Whether or not they break their own record again or come in five or ten million dollars less than that, I think that's actually kind of irrelevant. I think it's: are you cutting costs? Are you holding steady? Or are you spending more? I don't think very many teams are going to spend more, but what I would consider is that if this is a bad market for the free agents that are out there, you're going to see a lot of guys take a one-year deal because you have a new CBA coming after next season. They're going to take that one-year deal with the hope that teams make a lot more money with hopefully at least some fans in the stands for some or all of 2021, and with that, hope to cash in on a multi-year deal next winter as opposed to this winter. So if you have a few players like that who are floating around, which is a lot like the Yasmani Grandal situation uh, from two off-seasons ago and probably like the Marcelo Zuna situation, he went to Atlanta and he's been fantastic on a one-year $18 million deal, you may have a shot at one or two of those guys if you're willing to spend at least close to the levels you've been spending at. So I don't think Stearns is ever going to come out and tell us, oh yeah, Mark said we're spending $150 million on payroll. Oh yeah, Mark said we're only going to spend $80 million on payroll. Those those answers are not satisfactory. Someone's always going to be upset. One hundred and fifty is not enough for some people. Eighty is too frugal for other people. And I, I get it. Like teams make money hand over fist most years. This wasn't like most years. I think it's weird that they would completely scrap what they've been doing if they thought there was a chance to win. Now, if they don't look at that core and say, "Yeah, we think we can get back to the playoffs," okay, then they're going to play that long game. They are going to try to cut payroll and get guys who are under club control and work on player development as opposed to pushing more money at the problems right now. So I think it's more of a reflection of what they think of their core rather than how they're actually running the business. Again, conjecture and opinion, but the payroll thing comes up all the time, and no one's ever happy when it comes up.
1: No, and nobody's going to be happy this year either, I have a feeling, especially for, for Milwaukee. I think that we're going to see some decisions made that are sort of impacted by that a little bit. That are like these these like non tender candidate sort of situations where it's like, you know, are they in a position where they could say to themselves, you know what, yeah, you know, Manny Pena has he's coming off the knee injury. Nottingham, we still don't know exactly what we have. Let's run the risk with Nervias and let's let's eat the money and and. Yeah, no problem. I'm not sure if it's that easy of a decision, right? I think it's honestly one of their hardest decisions that they have to make. And for some other teams, and maybe even in some other years, that's maybe not that difficult of a decision, uh, one way or the other. I think you kind of say the same thing about Corey Knable as well, where maybe he's not worth that 5 or $6 million or whatever it's going to be. And maybe you need that money elsewhere, or maybe you don't have the ability to spend that money anyway. Um, so, sure, there's a pretty decent chance of him returning to form in 2021. I just feel like this whole year was really unfair to unfair to judge him on and maybe he becomes worth that that money and more next year. I don't know. But he comes to mind as somebody that there's a risk reward situation there that may in fact be be impacted by what Stearns had to say there.
2: Absolutely, and I think we saw the more common or most likely blueprint is what they did last off season. The middle of the roster is where they shed the most payroll, trading away Chase Anderson, not picking up the option on Eric Thames, including Davies with Grisham in the trade to get Urias. Like those were the ways that they pared things down last year. Aside from having you know Grandal and Mustakis leaving as free agents, they found a really sizable chunk of budget to remove in the middle of the roster and they tried to replace those guys on the relative cheap and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I mean, among the questions we'll talk about probably on next week's episode is what do we make of Josh Lindblom's first season in Milwaukee? Like He was supposed to come in and basically, in in my mind, be a replacement for Chase Anderson for half the price. It was kind of a mixed bag. There were a couple of nice starts at the end of the year, some disappointing starts earlier in the year. Is the faith? Level there high enough to trust him with a rotation spot to begin 2021. He's going to be affordable. He's going to be on the roster. He signed a three-year deal unless he gets traded somewhere else. I don't think that's really part of the plan. So they have these other weird little questions to figure out that aren't even really related to the payroll, but just deciding what are we really going to do with the trades we make, with the moves we actually have to make. Uh, So a lot of unanswered questions still uh, as we start moving into the Brewers offseason. Uh, as always, send us questions. He's at Will Salmon. I'm at Derek Van Riper. What's on your mind? I know the Packers are 4-0, so a lot of Brewers fans are are on to football season in, in full swing at this point, but uh, we're happy to answer your questions on a future episode. If you don't already have a subscription to The Athletic, you can get one for $1 a month at theathletic.com slash 422. For Will Salmon, I'm Derek Van Riper. We're back with you next week from Section 422.